0: Some of the announcements on the uh, inside right hand page, you'll see that the Wednesday night fellowship continues this Wednesday, the home school classes, the Thursday night, uh, the Thursday evening Bible study, Sunday school classes that we have here each morning, each Sunday morning. Uh, the weekly Bible, men's Bible study and uh, pastoral counseling, you can contact uh, Pastor Chris. But two that are not in there is that uh, next Sunday is the scheduled day to have the deacon's offering taken up. So next Sunday, the deacons will take up their offering. And also, for choir members and those interested in the choir... There will be a short meeting following the service, Michael said, right up here.
1: About five minutes. It won't be long. We're just going to talk about what we're going to
2: do.
0: Five minutes talk about what y'all are going to do. Our call to worship comes from Psalm 11, verse 4. The Lord is the Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, His eyelids test the children of man. Let us pray. The oh Lord, we ask that you look upon us. <clears throat> As a congregation, Father, that we come together to corporately worship you. Father, give us your grace. That we receive your truth in our hearts with humility and awe. Father, we lay all this before you in the precious name of your Lord of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If you'll turn in your hymnals and stand. We'll worship in music number 43. standing and turning in your hymnal to the front cover we will confess our belief and our faith using the Apostles' Creed Christian what is it you believe I believe in God the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth and in Jesus Christ his only Son our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Ghost born of the Virgin Mary suffered under Pontius Pilate And
1: life everlasting. Amen. Be seated.
0: Excuse me, we'll continue with our reading from the Western Larger, Westminster Larger Catechism. We'll read questions uh, 14, 15, and 16. I will read each question and respond with the answers. How doth God execute his degrees? God, God executes his decrees in the works of creation and providence according to his infallible knowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will. What is the work of creation? <laughs> the work of creation that glory God in the beginning by the word of his power make of nothing the world and all things therein for himself within the space of six days and
1: all very good.
0: How did God create angels?
1: God created all angels, spirits immortal, holy excelled in knowledge mighty in power to
0: execute His commandments and to praise His name, instead of subject to change. Amen. Our responsive reading will be Psalm 11. That's on page 574 in your pew Bibles. I'll begin reading the first, and we'll alternate through the end of the psalm. To the choirmaster of David, in the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, "Flee like a bird to your mountain"? If the foundations are destroyed, what shall the, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyes test the children of men. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. of the wicked, Fire and sulphur the,
1: the of
0: For the Lord is righteous; he loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. Amen.
2: Good morning, everyone. Well, for those of you that are new to the church, we do all the things in this service that the church has done for thousands of years. So you've already noticed that we do the Apostles' Creed We also have a time of confession. Now, this time of confession is just between you and God before we go further into the service. So we're going to have a time of silence for you to put your mind right with God and to confess to him your personal and private sins. And now also we will confess before God our corporate sins as a people, not only a people of this church, but as a people of the church everywhere on earth. Christian, do you believe that you have fallen short of the glory of God that you have sinned every day in thought, word, and deed? We do. Then I declare to you what the scriptures declare, that if you have rested on the righteousness of Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, that by grace, through faith, Your sins are forgiven and you are restored to your God. Lord, our God and Father, we bring before you our particular petitions today. For all of these things, Lord God, we know that you are our only great physician, that you're the only one that really knows what's going on, that you take care of us, Lord God, that you have never forgotten or abandoned a single one of your children. We want to pray for those of our number that are struggling with different cancers, Lord God. For Ava Roden, for Barbara Minor, for Peggy Ford, for Robert McElhaney, for Luann Paris, for Billy Paris, for Helen McBride, for Johnny Baker, for any others, Lord God, that are struggling with this dreaded disease, that you would heal them and be with them, that you would encourage them and strengthen them, that you would give their doctors great understanding in regard to their case that their medicines would be effective, Lord God, and that you would preserve their lives in the name of Jesus Christ. For general well-being, Lord God, we continue to pray for Jack and Barbara Anthony, for Cynthia Hogan, for Aileen Prude, for Elaine Garner, for Alice, David, and Murray Rayburn, for Mike and Christopher Smith. We pray, Lord God, that you would be with them and encourage them and heal them and strengthen them. For those of our number that are serving in the military, Lord God, or our families, for Stephen, Gage, Jose, and Ryan, we pray that you would be with them and comfort them and protect them, especially in their service to you and for our country. We pray for Lizzie and Saguk, who are moving to Huntsville. They'll be going to school for IT. This is the Fredman's daughter and her husband. We pray, Lord God, that you would bless them in this endeavor, Lord God, that you would grant them success and well-being. We pray for Bob Bickley, who will have his gallbladder removed, his surgery will be on September 9th, that you would just bless him and restore him and heal his body, and also that you would give great encouragement to his wife during this time. We pray for the Good News Club who's beginning to meet, Lord God, that you would just use that means through the local public schools for the edification and well-being of the children, that they would come to know you, and in knowing you have life and peace. We pray for the Smithhearts, especially Marcia, who are traveling next week for traveling mercies and your care. We pray for Carolyn Rogers and her husband, friends of Urban Sharon, that you would just Bless her and be with her. Encourage her and strengthen her during this time as they have a hard time getting around and several illnesses. We pray for Terry Webb's cousin, who's in ICU in Texas. We pray that you would preserve their life and bless them in the name of Christ. We pray for Philip Paris, who's having surgery on his finger, that it will heal and that he'll be restored and made well in the name of Jesus. We pray for Pam Puckett's sister, Cheryl, Who's having several health related issues for her healing and encouragement and well being? We praise you, Lord God, to hear that Eva Roten is doing better, and it's a prayer of thanksgiving to you. Our dear sister Stricky, Lord God, has double pneumonia. We pray for her healing and encouragement that you would just restore her body, Lord God, and keep her well and safe, that you would give her special care and encouragement at this time. We also pray for our dear brother and sister, J and D Jones, who are moving soon, that you would just bless them in this endeavor, Lord God, and grant them all the desires of their hearts in this thing in the name of Jesus Christ. For all of these things and all of the other prayers that are unspoken or that we as a congregation don't know about, but you know are in the hearts and minds of your people, we pray, Lord God, for any of our financial difficulties that you would just continue to provide for our needs so that we can take care of ourselves, our families, and our community. We pray for the healing and well-being of our bodies, Lord God, that you would grant us this peace from sickness and illness and make us strong so that we might serve you. We also pray for presidents and kings and those in positions of power and authority that they would guide according to your law and for righteousness and not for injustice. We also pray for your church here and around the world, Lord God, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, your church would be made strong, not in the things of the world, but in spiritual things, Lord God, so that your gospel might be proclaimed and that all men everywhere might know that you are Lord and King. And we pray these things, praying the prayer that your son taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Please rise as we sing number 359 in your hymnal. Thank mm-hmm. you.
0: Let us pray. Father, we are grateful and thankful for all things that come from you. Father, the maker of all, the provider of all. Father, we do not give to become richer, but we give simply because we love you. I ask that you use these tithes to fulfill every need in your kingdom, all being to your glory. Father, we ask this in the powerful name of your of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.
2: our God and Father, from the great gifts that you've given us, we give back to you this small portion. And we pray that you would use these funds, Lord God, to encourage and grow your kingdom here and around the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. First things first, an unfortunate bit of administration. Uh, I'm so sorry, and I did not know this was your last week. Last week, I had to find out through Facebook before the service. (laughs) We would have had a lunch for you or something for sure. You've got to let us know these things. Elders, you come forward, please. (coughs) Now, JD has served this church for many years. They're one of them. They have got gotten to chance to meet them. Jay has also been serving as a deacon recently because he recently bought. Uh, a new home in a different city. So I'm sure we'll be seeing them on an ongoing basis, and they will be visiting us. Yeah, we'll be back once a yeah. month. Yeah. But we want to pray for you, especially We can get my dogs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i got kids, they said dogs. Do <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lord, we can pray for them for Most well, gracious, Heavenly Father, we pray for this couple that we come to love. The mercy of the ministry, Lord, and the grace of the peace they showed us through that Lord. We pray that you would bless them in this new move that they're making, Lord, that their house would sell quickly. Bless them. Bring them back once a month to be with us, Lord. And just keep your hand always upon them. And we pray, Lord, for no in that situation that you would open that door to do get a couple more. We just ask us all of your Son, Jesus, precious and holy name. Amen. Yes, sir. Next month, when you come back, we'll have a lunch. Now, I know we're in Matthew six going through the Sermon on the Mount, especially the section of it that has the Lord's Prayer as a momentary discursus we will go back to Matthew 3 from verse 1 where it says in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said the voice of one crying in the wilderness prepare a way for the Lord make his path straight let's pray Lord our God and Father Your greatness is overwhelming to us. We are in awe of you. And that you actually condescend, Lord God, to call us your children and to bring us into your family is too marvelous for our eyes. But we accept it, Lord God, as a gift, a gift of grace and mercy. And we pray that today you would open your word to us so that we can see wonderful things there. We thank you for these blessings in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Now, here's John the Baptist, and the first thing that he brings up, you notice the first thing that he says is the exculpation of his earthly ministry is, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's near. Today, we're going to be talking about that clause in the Lord's Prayer where he says, the kingdom. What is the kingdom? How do you get into the kingdom? An overwhelming fact of the book of Matthew is it is all about the kingdom, the coming of the kingdom, the nature of the kingdom, and the success of the kingdom. Now, John the Baptist is, of course, baptizing folks. That's how he got that great name, Baptist. It's not because he was part of the Southern Baptist Conference. Sorry, Southern Baptist, but it wasn't that kind of a thing because he was baptizing them all as a baptism of repentance. In verse 13, it says this. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him now this is John and if you remember the relationship which we'll be able to get to go all over again come Christmas time because it's a great time for it Mary and Elizabeth are cousins right and John is born about 3 months ahead of Jesus and so this is the person who when Mary was pregnant and she went in to see her cousin Mary who was Elizabeth who was also present the child, John the Baptist, in the womb of Mary, who, Elizabeth, who hadn't even been born yet, left in the womb, being filled with the Holy Spirit before he was even born. And now they're meeting publicly. And John doesn't want to baptize Jesus because he knows he's doing a baptism of repentance. Is it Christian baptism? Well, that's an interesting question that the theologians have answered in a lot of different ways. It could be, just to sort of show you the ball, that Jesus' baptism is really the first christian baptism there were lots of baptisms in the old testament that were not what we think of contemporarily as christian baptism but in some ways jesus submitting himself to baptism a baptism of repentance in which he had no sin was in some way sanctifying every baptism that would come through faith in him and so he subjects himself to it even though it's not for him john would have prevented him saying i need to be baptized by you but you come to me but Jesus answered him, let it be so for now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized immediately, he went up out of the water and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Hear him in a different translation. So, this is Jesus and John the Baptist. This is the beginning. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, but the kingdom of heaven hasn't happened yet. In chapter 4, which immediately comes, we see the temptations of Jesus, the three temptations of Christ that are so famous. Let's go to verse 7. Verse 8 of chapter four, again the devil took him to a very high mountain, this was the third and last temptation of Christ, and showing him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. This is Satan saying to Jesus that he'll give him all the kingdoms of the world if he'll fall down and worship him. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the devil left him, and the angels came and were ministering to him so the last and greatest temptation was for Jesus to receive everything that he came for it's also a testimony to what he came for he did not come for Israel it would have been too small a thing he didn't come for the holy roman empire which really didn't exist till later he came for all the kingdoms of the world and the devil held them out and said you can have these right now I will give them to you if you will worship me And Jesus said, I will worship the Lord my God only because the true nature of the temptation was to receive everything that Jesus came for but for a cross. Without dying, without suffering, without the shedding of blood and without the consequence of the sins of all mankind being poured out on him, he would receive everything he came for. All he would have to do is be disobedient to his father and Jesus would have none of it. And then there's this interesting phrase that happens because it says, That Jesus' earthly ministry then began at that point after his baptism and overcoming the temptation, the same kind of a temptation that Adam had at the beginning. And in verse 17, it says, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So John said it was near. Jesus said, it's here. And almost everything that he says on an ongoing basis has to do with the kingdom. Let's take a look at John chapter 17, verse 20. Now this chapter as a whole is also about temptations, but there's a way that Jesus sums it up in verse 20. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, behold. For the kingdom of God is in you. Jesus is talking about a different kind of a kingdom. If there's anybody that understands the consequence of the entire nation of Israel and the economy that came from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the 12 tribes, going through Moses and the founding of the kingdom, the conquering of the promised land, all of the tribes and nations and the kings that came from them from David on down through Solomon, even down to their present time, it is Jesus the Christ who is the Messiah. And he says, you can't even see the real kingdom. The real kingdom is not bound in these things that you think it is. It's not a throne and it's not a building. It's not a house. It's not observable. It's in you. Let's take a look at Acts chapter one. Verse 4 And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. But to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? They still had limited understanding even after the resurrection. So they want to see the restoration of the kingdom. And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you look, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And then they replaced Judas with Messiah. So they were still expecting a very carnal, physical manifestation of the kingdom. And he says to them, no, you're looking in the wrong place. In many ways, if you want to paraphrase, he says, look, you are already the kingdom that you're looking for. If you just want to see buildings and you want to see administrations and you want to see power and you want to see thrones and you want to see armies, you're looking for completely the wrong thing. Do you want to know what my witness is going to be to the nations? You. You are going to go out and you are going to be the witnesses of the kingdom to the nations. In chapter 2 from verse 1, because Jesus had told them the Holy Spirit would come and he would empower them to do this great work of being the kingdom. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house they were sitting in and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men of under every nation of heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were confused because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, aren't these men speaking all Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes, Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own language the mighty works of God and all were amazed and perplexed saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they're filled with wine. There's one in every crowd, right? (laughs) Notice, this came up in my talking with my family the other day. In the beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, there was a great confusion of the languages. Everyone spoke one language. And God said, if we allow them to continue to speak one language and have this type of fraternity in one nation on earth, eventually they'll be able to do anything. Now, we don't understand exactly that that was supposed to be an insult, right? If you have people that do not have the kingdom of God or faith in him and are not willing to live a right way and they have the power to do anything, what will they tend to do with that power? Great evil, right? Right? And so God, to limit their evil, he confused their languages and broke them into many different nations that spread out over the face of the earth. In many ways, the conflict between nations is something that God preordained and orchestrated for our safety and well-being. That sounds a little strange because we all strive so hard to learn another language, right? I had Spanish in elementary school, Spanish in high school. I took Spanish in college. I still can't speak any Spanish. I speak Taco Bell Spanish, not like real Spanish, right? Plus, I'm from California and think I know a little Spanish. Not so much. Here we have the languages all coming back together. People from every tribe, nation, race, and tongue on earth that worship the true God were all there, and they all hear the gospel in their own language. God is bringing out of all the nations back together one people, the people of his kingdom. So in many ways, you see the fall of Babel going through its restoration right here. It's an amazing thing. And since then, if you look around the planet, do you see people coming to Christ into this one kingdom from every people on earth? There is no more unifying force in the entire world, nor has there ever been, than faith in Jesus Christ. There's this great story that R.C. Sproul tells about being on a train and going into Romania at the time when communism was still the, the dominant force there. And they had some Bibles with them. So they had them hidden in their baggage and they get stopped on the train and all of the guards with rifles, they come on and they start going through everybody's luggage because they were known to arrest Americans for just having Bibles. And two guys are going into his wife. His wife's name was Vespa. And they're going through her luggage and they find a Bible there. And another guard comes on who's obviously the top guy because he starts yelling at those guys and he throws them off the train. And he opens up the Bible and he opens it up to... The passage having to do with the kingdom of God, and he reads it to them in English. And he tells them, You'll be safe on this train. And he goes and he sits with them for the rest of the ride. The Romanian Guard, aren't they supposed to throw those bad Christian Americans into prison or something for trying to smuggle Bibles? But no, because they were family, you see. It's not all family, but family transcends race and time and place and language it's that in which god brings us all together you know there is a reason that we always say we're a christian first an american second i know that might be a little uncomfortable to some of you but you will never be in the kingdom of heaven an american first and a christian second that's just not what jesus has called us to When we come to this, the entire world is being called to one kingdom and it is a spiritual kingdom that's not observable through our eyes. Verse 14, then Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed them saying, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words for these people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day, it's morning. This is what was uttered by the prophet Joel. So here's the prophecy. I'm going to read it to you. Notice that this is Peter, who's not, you know, a a low-rent Christian. He walked around with Jesus for three years, and he's going to tell them what these verses mean. Notice that these verses are used for many weird things in today's church, and you might have heard some of these interpretations. But Peter's going to tell you his interpretation of Joel, and he's going to apply it to exactly that event that happened then. He's not applying it to an event that happens now. He says, in the last days it shall be. So when are the last days? Well, Peter says it's happening right then. The last days of what? Last days of Israel. His last days are not our last days. We already read a verse that talked about Jesus coming again. That is not what he's talking about. He's talking about that Jesus came then. He's talking about the first coming, not the second coming. Just pay attention to what he's applying this to. He's applying it to the event that's happening right then that they are witnessing, and he's saying this interpretation happens now. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. She says, This is what you're observing happening right now. Any interpretation that takes this set of verses and tries to put them at the end of time has to contend with Peter. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Let's be careful with that. You all know, right? You all know that all the time from the Old Testament, all the way back in Genesis, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, all the Psalms, all the prophets, they were all talking about the Messiah to come. Now he's come. Do you think it wasn't by the definite plan and foreknowledge of God that he came? Of course it was. Now this will bring up certain philosophical conundrums in your mind and heart about how God knows the future and how he ordains the future and how he knew the baby would be born or caused him to be born and how he made his parents be born so that he would be born and their parents and their entire lives so that they would be born all going all the way back through history. But you know what? None of that philosophical nonsense matters. What matters is that scripture says that it happened by the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. This was not an accident. And it even says how God ordained it In the next line, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Even the evil that men did to Christ, even the evils that they did were by the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. That is a heavy, complicated idea. But Jesus did not come to live. Jesus came to die. And when they, of their own evil inclinations, of their own free will, took him and rejected him and spat on him and beat him and nailed him on a cross, they were doing all that their evil will wanted to do. But in one way or another, beyond the comprehension of man, and I do not claim to understand it, even their wickedness fell into a plan of God that they were trying to oppose but could not do. As we go on for there, take a look at Ephesians chapter 2. And here he talks a little more about the bringing together of the people of God in one household. From verse 18, let's go from verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 2. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and preached peace to those who were near. Now what does he mean to those who were far off and to those who were near? Those who were far off is those who didn't know anything about God. Those who were near is those who already knew a lot about God. Those who knew a lot about God were probably the Jews and he came to preach peace to them. And those who didn't know anything about God, well, that was probably the rest of us. (laughs) You might think it wasn't you, but it was probably the rest of us. And he says, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are near and those who were far off and to those who were near. For through him, we both have access In one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So here he's still talking about the kingdom of God. He's talking about your citizenship as a member of the kingdom of God. But he's also talking about the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Remember, what he did was he put together a church. Jesus in the beginning said, you are going to go out and be my witnesses. He did not leave it to the personal investigations and feelings of the individual person's heart. This kingdom that he built does have a witness in structure. Uh, last couple of nights I took my kids to the uh, Redbirds game did anybody else go see I know you didn't go because you would have seen us there because we won the air guitar cam competition <laughs> they had us up on the thing and, and uh, I don't know why they put me on there because I'm like the old guy that's why it was they actually were talking about me while I was on there oh look at this old guy he's playing the air guitar and they kept me up there for like a whole minute which was weird and Ana keeps telling me you're still up there so I keep playing People are laughing. I'm like, I do not care. So we're up there, right? And one of the things that happens is those Redbirds, they're a great team. How many of you have seen them? They're the national champion for the, for the AAA, right? They're the seed team for the Cardinals. And they played good. You know, night before, they won like 12 to 2. And last night, they won like 4-0. And they are an amazingly well-oiled machine. They move that ball... Around that diamond fast right that's why they just crushed these other guys and it was so well ordered and the place is clean and the people there are nice and everything and then you go outside the stadium and it's a little different <laughs> <laughs> because the game was very, because it was delayed we didn't get out till after midnight you know it's like almost one and we're out there and we're walking to the where the cars are parked and that kind of thing and, And there's the strangest thing, I don't know if you guys have seen this, there was a a veritable sea of electric scooters. Have you guys seen this? Thousands of electric scooters. And I'm like, what in the world is going on with this electric scooter thing? So I look it up and our our venerable Mayor uh, Strickland and some others thought it would be a great idea to have just like 10,000 electric scooters in downtown Memphis, right? He said, and one of the reasons they went into is like, you know, well, people get out of those places on Beale Street and they've been drinking, and we don't want them to drive cars and stuff like that. Why do you want thousands of drunk people driving electric scooters? <laughs> <laughs> it all. We actually came up with a name for them as we were driving home, as they're like trying to scooter around. We call them Skrunks, which is like scooter drunks. It's a <laughs> and like, so we go into McDonald's, which is my favorite place for cheap, easy, fast food. And we, we go in there and we get the kids their happy meals. And behind us are a few people on scooters, arguing with the McDonald's employees about whether or not they can come through the drive through on a scooter. It's <laughs> not a made up story. And they're like, I, it's got wheels. It's got wheels. And they're like, I'm oh, sorry. you got to come in. And they, no, it's got wheels. So they argued with them for like five minutes. Or and then they finally let them go through the drive-thru on the scooters, which did not work out well for them because one girl rolled down the hill and ran into the
1: pavement.
2: <laughs> she didn't get hurt because they laughed. But it wasn't as funny to me because I'm a dad with kids. Now, here's the thing. The organizational structure of the team makes those guys win. They understand that everybody has their place in it, right? And they're all working toward different things. And this is something we'll get into next week, but the kingdom of God actually has an ordering to it for your well-being and safety. And every time through history that people have blown off the parameters within Scripture and tried to make up church in their own way, it has blown up in their faces with oppression and sin and poverty and sometimes death and war. Religion is big game. It's not small game. And the consequences of bad religion are vast. So we all have to decide whether or not we want to be the red birds, or whether or not we want to be strunks. Because <laughs> it was general disorder out there. We're having to walk over scooters and things. The kids want to ride them. I'm like, I don't know what's been on those things. We can't, we can't touch those scooters. We have to wipe those down or spray them. It was a crazy event. All we did was went right through the doors of the stadium. And madness ensued, right? And the cops are all out there. You can tell they're nervous. They're trying to direct traffic and stuff. But there's like five of them, and like fifty thousand of everybody else, right? The ordering of things and the decisions that we make either make peace and well-being for everybody, or they ensue with chaos. This also happens in the kingdom. So you have to decide whether or not you take that view of scripture that the kingdom, because it's not observable, also has no ordering factors in it whatsoever. It's just basically chaos. Jesus came to bring a kingdom full of random chaos. Or did he come to bring a visible kingdom in which there's an actual ordering for the well-being, for the extension of the kingdom, for the preaching of the gospel, for the evangelism of the world, and to carry it on? What do you think heaven's gonna be like? Think it's going to be kind of orderly, or is it going to be a little scrunky? Which one do you think it'll be? It's going to be orderly because we have a king, right? And the other question is, what do you think the code for the kingdom is going to be? What do you think the law of that kingdom is? Is there none whatsoever? Are there no rules to this kingdom? Or are the rules amazingly simple and rules that we already know? Are they the basic rules that are being given for the Christian life that is a witness to everyone that we are in Christ? Do we strive for the laws of God or are we ourselves at war with the laws of God while saying that we're one with Christ? Is there a transformation that goes on in the inner person that changes us from a person that is at war with God to a person that's in love with God? A lot of you are uncomfortable with that language of being in love with God. It sounds too romantic to you. But there's many times in the Bible where it uses romantic language to talk about the relationship with God, right? Right? When you read things like the Song of Solomon, it might be a very esoteric poem about God and stuff, or it might be about some Hebrew guy who found a hot chick. It's hard to tell which one is going on there. But I take it as it's talking about the relationship with God. And they're saying, I love God. And you've, you know, you've fallen in love one time or another, right? All of us have felt love. And when you love someone, you want to be with them all the time. Not only that, you want to know what makes them happy and what makes them sad. One of the things that can happen in marriage is people get a little cool on love, right? After a while, if somebody has a birthday, somebody gets them a 99-cent card, 99-cent store. that's about it. No dinner, no movies, no wine, no flowers, no what? What about anniversary? That's the day to celebrate the recurring nature of our love, right? well, we've got things like that in the church. We do this kind of thing on Sunday. There are things to do to maintain the relationship even within the context of the kingdom. And the sign of coming into the kingdom is still the sign that it was back in the beginning of Matthew. It's baptism. That's what Mark says, is coming into the kingdom. Are you in the kingdom? Here's the sign. We're gonna pour out water on you or dunk you under We're going to slosh you. One way or another, you're going to get a sign that's correspondent to the expression of your faith. And these signs are only external signs. They don't save you or make you saved, but they're signs of something that's supposed to be going on, an invisible reality within you, right? Now, also today, we're going to be doing another sign. There are only two signs in the New Testament church. There's thousands in the Old Testament church. In the New Testament church, there are two signs. What are they? Baptism and... The Lord's Supper. Another external sign whereby mere physical elements of bread and wine, we are going to receive the spiritual nourishment of God. Not because it's somehow stuck in the bread, but because it represents an invisible reality that's happening in you. So we're going to do that now. If we could have everybody come forward, we'll sing the first two lines of the hymn O Sacred Head. Number 142. We will save the third verse for after we take the Lord's Supper. But in this time, reflect upon what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you and in you as we take part in this great sacrament that's been done for thousands of years as a representation of our participation in the kingdom of God. up in John chapter 6 the people and he told them if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will have no me." they got very upset because they believed but we understand that he was talking about spiritual things and speaking, speaking spiritual man in a spiritual way and so on the last night he took bread and when he had blessed it he said this is my body broken for you Eat it, all of it. And in the same way, he took the wine and he blessed it. Lord our God, we pray that you would take these elements, Lord God, and set them apart from a common to a holy use as the representation of your blood shed for us in Jesus' name. covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Take Drink. Lord, our God and Father, thank you so much for this blessing this participation in your body and your blood. And in the same way as this food goes down into our bodies, Lord God, and nourishes our bones and flesh. Yet let your spirit so increase our well-being. And we thank you for this in the name of Jesus Christ. Please rise as we sing the last verse of O Sacred Head Now Wounded, number 142. receive the blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.